G'day guys, Kerry here from Good Blokes, and um, if you know me, you hopefully also know I don't do things by halves. So when I started wanting to talk a little bit more about mental health, I, um, actually no, I don't want to talk about mental health. I'm a little um, weary at the moment that we're kind of metavising mental health, we're turning it into a hashtag that we put on the bottom of our Instagram posts. Um, and I don't think we need to be talking about it in the third party. What I want to do is start sharing some of my story and other people's stories, other good blokes' stories, in the hope that we can learn from each other, uh, rather than talking about it in the abstract. And there's a particular subject that's coming up which um, hasn't been talked about much, and we had some recent legislative changes that has affected that, and I'm going to talk about that in a different video because this is not what that video is about. What this video is about is part of that project, I reached out to Mike King. Mike King um, is a legend. Um, he's been through a lot of stuff, uh, changed his life for the better and is on a bit of a mission. So I wanted to chat to him about a few things. Uh, but while we were doing that, he started sharing what his passion is and his mission, and that is looking after the kids, helping the kids, and in particular, uh, the suicide rate we have even in kids. We have kids committing suicide in New Zealand at a regular basis, and that's pretty messed up. So while this was pretty off-subject for what we're actually, I wanted to talk to him about, um, I just want to give him the airtime and promote this message as much as we, I, we, all of us can because it's an important one. He's on an important mission and we need to help share and amplify that and, and make some change. So, uh, you know, our kids, I have two kids now, two little girls. They're growing up in a weird, weird world and um, we need to do what we can to make sure the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that um, are set off in the right way. We do that by being better blokes. That's uh, part of the reason uh, of the recent name change for the website. Um, but yeah, so Mike King, the stage is yours. Thank you very much for your time again, mate. We do need to start normalising at a school level uh, mental health issues and make it not uh, not so taboo. And the reason yep. it's such a taboo subject, um, uh, particularly uh, talking to someone about mental health issues or talking to a counsellor, uh, the reason it is considered to be a mental health issue um, right from, from, from school. The only way a young person can access free government counselling is they must go to a doctor, then the doctor has to, uh, has to diagnose them with a mental health issue. Now, that label follows that child for the rest of their life. Yep. For the rest of their life, that life. So automatically they're considered to be tainted and mentally ill for the rest of their life. Now, people say to me all the time, they say, oh, but things are changing, you know, it's becoming more normal. No, it's not. There is still the stigma involved with mental health. And, and the easiest way to prove it, anyone who's watching this, next time you're with your friends 
and they say, hey, Mike, how are you doing? Oh, mate, had to take my eldest in to see a counsellor. Say those words. I had to take my eldest in to see a counsellor. You will get this reaction. Oh, really, mate? Oh, shit. Oh, is there anything I can do? Is there anything? I I didn't know things, but do you see what I mean? It's that reaction. Because automatically we think anyone who goes to see a counsellor is mentally ill. Mm. The world's changed. Our young people don't want to go and see a counsellor because they're mentally unwell. They go to see counsellors to stay well. And the same as fat blokes don't go to the gym to become all blacks. They go to the gym to stay alive. They are proactively taking care of their physical health and our kids are proactively taking care of their mental health. Why can't, why do they need them counselors to talk? Why can't they just talk to the bloody parents, mate? You got to talk <laughs> to the bloody parents. Yeah. Look. So here's what I know 40% of kids in school, and I've spoken to over 250,000 kids, listened to over 250,000 kids in this country, more than every single person at the Ministry of Health put together. 40% of kids in school will have a major crisis before they leave school. Not in their life, uh, before they leave school, often associated with some type of suicidal thinking, whether it's a one-off thought or whether it's a recurring thought that grinds them down on a daily basis. 40% of kids will have a suicidal thought before they leave school. Now, most parents freak out when they hear, oh, my God, 40% of kids. Look, 100% of people watching this video right now, 100%, whether you want to admit it or not, you've had a suicidal thought. If you haven't left your house at least once in your life, going, what's the fucking point? Yep. Then you need to get out of the marshmallow you live in. Seriously. Yep. You know, um, having a thought doesn't make us mentally ill. It makes us human. You know, it's our ability to, to look at options that separates us from animals. Mm. Like animals have two thoughts. That's food or run like fuck. That's it, right? So, the stat that we should all worry about is 80% of kids who have suicidal thoughts and 80% of your mates who are watching this video right now never ask for help. 80% mm. of people who have suicidal thoughts never ask for help ever. And when you dig deep and ask the reason why, there are three reasons with kids. Uh, four, sorry. One, they're worried about, they don't ask for help because they're worried about what we are going to think. They don't ask for help because they're worried about what we are going to say. And number three, they are worried about what we are going to do with that information. But the number one reason kids don't reach out and ask for help, and I've asked them all, all the suicidal kids, the number one reason kids come back to me, why don't you tell mom and dad? Because I don't want to disappoint them. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Yep. I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to disappoint you. My parents have sacrificed so much to get me here. They've sacrificed everything they have. Mum works two jobs. Dad works two jobs. Um, they've given me every. I don't want to now tell them that I'm ungrateful by telling them I want to die. Mm-hmm. So kids need a third party to talk to. Why do they need a third party? Well, They're living in a world of perfect adults now. 
Every child is living in a world of perfect adults who are constantly telling them about the sacrifices I made to get you where you are here today. When I was your age, your father and I, we lived in a cardboard box. Your dad left at school when he was 15. He married me at 16. We had you at 17, and he built this business up from the from the ground, and you're so ungrateful. Um so our kids need, so they're living in this world of perfect adults where everyone's got their shit together. Well, yeah, that's sitting there. At, at least, at least I'm never going to reach that goal. I'm never going yeah. to make it. I am never going to, to be you. And the biggest problem in mental health now is grinding them down. Their little inner critics going, it's just you. You're never going to be good enough. You're always pissing your parents off. Nobody cares about you. So counselling is important and normalising the need for counselling is the most important shift that we can make in this country. Our government sees counselling as a last resort. It should be the first fence at the top of the cliff. We need to reframe. So uh, how we think about counselling. I had a government official, an advisor to a front bench Labour MP who rang me up and said, you know what the problem with Gumboot Friday is, Mike? And I go, no, tell me. Um, anyone can access it. <laughs> what do you mean? You don't even have to be mentally ill to go and see a counsellor. I'm like, yeah, yeah that's right. That's well, what's perfect. the fucking problem with that? Yeah. Well, well, you know, I've got... This is why you fucking morons are in the trouble that you're in because you see counselling as a last resort. What's happening at the moment is the only way a kid can access, they've got to go to a doctor. The doctor described, uh, prescribes them as mentally ill. Then they go on a long waiting list. They wait an excruciatingly long amount of time before getting in front of a burnt-out mental health worker. Mm. Um now, the problem we've got is our mental health frontline workers are Formula One mechanics, right? They're the best in the fucking business, but they're dealing with highly tuned engines. You turn that screw one millimetre too far left or right, the whole engine blows up. But because doctors are covering themselves now, little Joey comes in and goes, oh, I had this little thought last night, and the doc's sitting there and goes, well, you know what, I, I think you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But then that little wee switch in the back of his head goes, oh, my God, what if something bad happens and yep. little Joey's not fine? Just to be safe, I'll put you in uh, into the mental health system. So they go straight from, you know, a little unstable to crisis. They're in, yep. So our frontline mental health workers right now are doing oil changes on Toyota Corollas rather than working on the engine. So... The idea that we had with Gumboot Friday was to put a, a, a protective wall in front of our crisis mental health teams. Having our kids voluntarily go to counsellors before they get unwell, counsellors sit with them for a couple of sessions and then they decide whether these kids should go on to, uh, to the crisis team. Mm. But in the meantime, holding back that wall of kids that are causing a choke point down at the crisis end. Unfortunately, the problem we have is, is a dumb hoary who left school at 15 
came up with the idea. He's not an academic or a clinician who the Ministry of Health loves, so they're never going to adopt the idea because of institutional arrogance. Mm. And that's all it is. It's just institutional arrogance. We need to... We've become a country that focuses on the on the behaviour rather yep. than a country that asks ourselves what drives that behaviour. Uh, I see the Minister of Health just announced um, they've got this new program for to to count uh, to count a P. So that they've got two options in the P war, right? One, let's lock up all the dealers. Every dealer you put in jail, there's 20 dealers to take their place. The second one is let's let's start building a whole lot of recovery units. Again, it's bottom. We are working on a solution before we know what the problem is. Yeah. If you want to stop the P epidemic, ask yourself. Why do so many New Zealanders of all ethnicities, of all economic groups, of all ages, why do so many Kiwis feel the need to be on the drugs in the first place? Once you figure out what's driving people towards the drugs, and I can tell you what it is right now, you're useless. Everyone else is better with overthinking. Everyone's overthinking. Our inner critics are smashing us. And the only thing that can shut up an inner critic it's drugs and alcohol. Imagine yep. you're in a critic as a crying newborn baby with colic, screaming hateful messages 24-7. If you're sitting in that room locked up with that baby, getting pissed is the option. Mm. Getting drunk is like leaving the baby in the bedroom, going into the lounge and just escaping yourself for a couple of hours. You just, yeah, I can still hear the baby crying, but it's at a level that I can deal with. I can live with. You yeah. know, it just gives me a momentary escape. Ah, only problem is a buzz only lasts five or six mm -hmm. hours. Five or six hours later, I'm now back in the room, the baby's screaming louder, and I've got a headache. And the only way to get over that, get wasted More. again. Yep. And get wasted again. And get wasted again. So the biggest problem in mental health today is an overactive inner critic. We're all overthinking shit. Everyone's pretending they've got their shit together. The first rule of mental health is no one has got their shit together, but we're all pretending we do. And it's having a devastating effect on our kids because when you're surrounded by perfect people every single day, that is the perfect environment for your inner critic to say you're useless, it's just you. So we collectively, um, as, as, as uh, parents, as aunties, as uncles, uh, as good, good blokes and citizens of New Zealand, you know, if we really want to help people, if we really want to, to pass on uh, something that, that our kids can, can take and, and become better human beings too, we need to take off our masks of perfection, stop pretending, stop pretending we've got our shit together and be more vulnerable, mm -hmm. particularly the blokes, these big hunting blokes who are running around, you know, and pretending they've got their shit together and, um, you know, going out on their thing, go, look, look what I've got, look what I've got. We need to be more vulnerable with our kids, you know, 
we are the ones that need to when we get home from when we get home from work and we've had a shit day and little Billy comes up, go, hey dad, how are you today? I'm fine, mate. Jeez, mate. Just look, I'm fine. Just need to be left alone. Get in the bloody kitchen. Get dad a beer. Grab and me I'll a beer. I'm watching some TV. Yep. But 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 little Billy is now walking to the fridge and his inner critic's going. What the hell did you do to dad? You're always pissing dad mm. off. You're never going to be good enough. You know, when yep. the correct response should be, when you get home and you've had a shit day, your kids know you've had a shit day. They can read you. So little Billy comes, how's your day, dad? Oh, mate, I had a prick of a day. My boss is an asshole. He made me do all of this shit. I, I, I knocked the forklift over and now my inner critic smashed me telling me what a dickhead I am. But you know what, mate? Because you came up and you asked me about my day, you've made it's me better. feel better, yep. man. Thank you, legend. Thank mm. you. Now get dad a beer. I'll be on the couch. <laughs> Come and join me. <laughs> yeah, but as the kid is walking to the fridge now, his mindset is, wow, yep. you helped your hero. Way yep. to go, man. You know, I'm now part of the solution rather than being part of the problem. So, you know, Again, we're always focused on the behavior, you know, particularly the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Justice and the Ministry of fucking every, the Ministry of all the ministries. We're, we're more focused um, on, on the behavior or the problem without fully understanding mm. what the problem is. Now, I'll tell you how I know that the inner critic is the biggest problem in mental health. You mentioned the 800 odd deaths through self-inflicted gunshot ruins or the 700-odd deaths. Every single one of those people wasn't sitting down with a loaded gun going, wow, what a great day. What can I do today? Oh, I know. I'll kill myself. Yep. They were all sitting there saying the same thing. You're useless. You're a burden to everybody. You know, everyone will be better off without you. You're a useless piece of shit. The inner critic is the biggest problem in mental health, yet no mental health experts ever talking about it. Whenever you talk to them about what's the biggest problem in mental health today, they'll say it's the rising rates of depression, anxiety, um, um, bipolar, um, suicide ideation, bullying. They'll mention all of these things. They're not the biggest problem. These are all outcomes. They're all the outcomes of the biggest problem. The biggest problem today is self-talk. We are all beating ourselves up, comparing ourselves to other people who are also bullshitting and, and thinking we're the only ones. We need to normalize overthinking. Mm -hmm. Did I answer your question? It <laughs> was a pretty good fucking story. It was a pretty good story. Now I've got about a dozen things to go off there, so that's cool. Um, I'll start with the last one I thought of is, is recently I sent my girl, I sent myself a note. I sent my girls down and apologized to them because it occurred to me, I had taken them out fishing and yeah. then barked at them because they couldn't sit still. We're talking about five and a seven year old who couldn't sit still on the yeah. wharf to do fishing. And yeah, afterwards yeah. for days afterwards, talking a self-talk, I was like, what the hell are you doing? old man, you've like, you took yeah. your kids out because I want to take my kids out to spend time with them. And then I've kind of barked at them because I expected a five-year-old to be able to sit on a chili bin and not move while the fish. So I apologized to them. And I said, look, I, I, I've realized, dad has realized that 
um, I want to go out with you kids. I want to spend time with you kids and I need to be focusing on you kids and what you want to do and, and that rather than dad thinking we need to. We should fish. be at Rainbow's Head, moron. What are we doing here? So what I've realized, one girl, she doesn't mind. She's happy. She she went out fishing with it again. The other one, it's like, what do you want to do for a day? And she wanted to, in the end, she wanted to go out, drive around, get McDonald's and go to a playground. I'm like, sweet. Mm. And then it, for me, it's a case of then going, yes, switch off your functional productive bloke. We don't have to have an outcome. It's just you're t- spending time with your kids. But I think the important thing. That's, you know, what, what, what's really interesting there is the number one thing that our kids all want, you know, they're, they're living in a world where adults are telling them what they want, what they're feeling and what they need to do to get over it. Uh, one of the biggest things that, uh, when I go and visit suicidal kids in lockdown units and don't get me started on the shit space they are, Mm. but um, when I sit there and I go, so, you know, you want to die? Yep. I want to die. Okay, cool. So um, what do you need? Yeah. And they are. Huh? Yeah. What? (laughs) What do you need? What can I I do for you? Hmm. What's wrong? Well, no, no one's no one's ever asked me that question before, and I don't yep. know what I need. Good. Take some time. Think about what you need. Don't have to rush into an answer. Just think about what you need. Think about what a world, a, a, a perfect world, looks like in your eyes, um, and then we'll we'll go from there. Mm. You know, I can't get you a seven forty seven. I can't take you on a whole holiday to Europe. I can't do any of those things, but. Just what's important to you? What do you need right now? And you, you did that with your youngest one, right? Yep. And she told you straight away. Yep. Oh, <laughs> oh, shit, I want to go here. Okay. I want to go there. Well, and, and, and as blokes, as I keep saying to my wife, as blokes, I fucking hate thinking. You know, when my <laughs> wife's got a problem, don't fucking make me guess I'm a man, I'm a fucking moron. Just tell me what the fuck it is I've done wrong or tell me what the fuck it is you want and yeah. I can do it. And fix it. I am a protector well, and a provider. I am yeah. not a guesser. You're the guesser. I don't do mind games. Just tell me. If you want me to mow the fucking lawn, I'll mow it. If you want me to vacuum dust, I don't care what it is. I just want to get it done. Yeah. But but the challenge is then though is the next step for me anyway, listening to that is then I want to go out and fix it immediately. And that's the the challenge. Say if the kids, what's wrong? Oh, this is what's wrong. I want to fix it. And I'm gonna start Uh, giving them suggest and I'm like there was nothing to fix there. There was nothing to fix. You know, your daughter's (laughs) just wanted to go to the But I still want to try and fix it, regardless. Whatever it is, I'm a bloke, I'm gonna fix it. We've got to give ourselves a break, right? And 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 any women who are watching this going, Yeah, you men always trying you get your fix of the hammers out all the time. Stop just making it, oh you, you know. You do it. We all do it, particularly when it comes to our kids. Um, We just have to understand that our kids are a generation removed from us. They are are far more empathetic, sympathetic. They are far more um, understanding and caring than we we ever were there, and they have more knowledge than we ever did. I mean, I've just sat in the... um, Sat, I'm, I'm at my office at the moment, but I was just sitting down with my eight year old. I got my eight year old at work with me today, and she was talking to me. I, I was, I've, I've developed this um, 
this program, which will give schools a better understanding of where the the, the mental health of all their students are, uh, to help them understand. Because most schools they don't realise how low the, the you know the the kids' mental well being is. We just assume it's around normal but no one knows what. So I've developed this test anyway. So as you go through it, it's, you know, class, blah, and it came to gender, and I had male, female, um, yeah, LBGBTQ, um, and then my daughter went, oh, well, you know, where's the binary? Where's the non-binary? Where's the, where's the, the demi-male, demi-female, the, the pan, blah, blah, and, the, you know, all of these, you know, and she's eight. She's yep. eight years old, gender fluid. You know, I'm like, holy crap, they are just, they are more understanding. I said, you know, so who are these kids? She goes to primary school up the road. You know, there are outwardly non-binary kids there, and that's, you know, uh, kids with that aren't he or she, the them and they, you know, and, and it's just a natural thing. Yep. So, you know, we we don't need to fix anybody. Our job as parents is not to fix our children. Our job as parents is to give our kids the tools to allow them to fix themselves. Mm. And as they fix themselves with the tools that we are giving them, um, their self-esteem grows. I call it the, the, the sheep and the run parenting style. The so, sheep and sorry, what, the sheep and the, the sheep and the run. Right, okay. You know yep, when you shear a sheep, you throw yeah. it into the you throw it into the run, right? It hits every fence on the way to the paddock. But when he gets to the paddock, he thinks it's <laughs> his idea to be yeah, there, yeah. right? Yeah. The sheep are our children. We are the run. Yeah. Our job is to guide our kids to the answers. Once they get to the answer, let them have the victory. So mm. many times we guide our kids to the answers and then we go, but you wouldn't have got here without <laughs> me, yeah. though, wouldn't you? We yeah. steal the glory of them. Yeah. Our job is to guide our kids. Currently what we're doing, because it saves time, is we shear the sheep. We can't be bothered putting them in the run. So we run them to the paddock and we put them down. We go down and shear the next sheep. And we run that one to the paddock and we put it down and we shear the next sheep. And we run that one to the paddock. The first sheep hasn't moved. All the grass has gone off. Oh, for fuck's sake, you pick that sheep up and you move it, go share another. Now you've got to move the other two. And, and then you turn around and go, why the hell don't you sheep move? Because every time we move, we get into fucking trouble. You move yeah. us. You know, mm. it's an empowering process that we have to undertake. Now, once a sheep finds the first paddock, they go looking for the next paddock. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Once you empower someone to find an answer and pat them on the head for, for getting that answer under your guidance without them realizing, they can't wait to please again. Where's the next paddock, Dad? Where's the next answer? What do you want done now? Yep. I'm in. I'm in. And, you know, we've got it into our head um, that, that this is the soft option. It's, the, it's not the soft option at all. The problem that we have got is the lessons of our fathers were wrong. Every bloke who is watching this, I'm 59 years old. Every bloke who is watching this had the same father as me. And my father's rules of life were simple. As a male, I protect, I provide, and I give my kids a better option than I had. That is my, which means work. 
just work. Focus in on the work. Protect, provide, um, protect, provide, and give my kids a better option. And the final, um, the final lesson is protect, provide. Hold on, uh, fucking Windows, Windows sixty two. It's uh, it's <laughs> the screen's frozen. Um, yeah, yeah. Give the kids a, a better option and um, never show fear in front of your kids. Never show fear. Always be in control in front of your kids. It's bullshit. Yeah, it's bullshit. Our kids know when we're struggling, and every time we don't talk about our struggles directly with our kids, what's going on, our kids instantly make it about them. Mm-hmm. And we're back to this scenario: What did you do to mum? What did you do to dad? You're always letting them down. You're a loser, and it starts out a small thought. But over time, the accumulative effect is by the time they're 15 or 16 years old, there's no hope for you. You're a loser. Mm. The it's um, for me, like I have, um, I take a group of guys out and show them how to set up their rifles, right? And yes. I now say it at the beginning of the uh, any course or anything. It's like, right, we've probably got a group of alpha alpha males here, and alpha males tend to make do push through, don't worry about it, gun's not right, whatever it is, but I'm going to make it work and set through. And I try and reframe it for them and go, look, to me, alpha is actually going, I'm going to fix this problem, whatever that, what that means. And it may mean taking the time to look at the gun, look at myself, correct whatever it is, and then push through that way by actually fixing the problem, not just making do, not just getting um showing this hard exterior. And I think the more I think about it, it it actually takes, for me, takes more strength more energy, power, and everything to be honest, to be truthful yeah. for kids and friends. That's actually that leaders. Applies, leaders, yeah. leaders don't tell people what to do; they show them what to do. Yeah. Don't tell me, show me. Mm. You know. Um, you know. So, so good. Good leadership is about. If you want your kids to talk about their problems, guess what, hotshot? You've got to talk about yours. Yeah. I mean, if you're sitting there bottling everything up. Your angry little man who you say, oh, he's a bit of a fucking ruffian, that one. Uh, no, he's a really troubled child yeah. um, who is mimicking you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so every time, you know, I talk about blokes about changing behaviour, um, it's the same. This talk that we're having today has nothing to do, like uh, nothing to do with the blokes that are watching this. For me, it's about your kids. Mm. You know, we got 137 kids took their own lives last year. 137 took their own lives last year because they had no one to talk to, because they lived in a world where they thought that they were the only ones struggling because all of their role models were perfect. All of their role models were constantly telling them what they were doing wrong, constantly highlighting the things that, I'm getting right all the time in front of my kids. Um, You know, we need to be more vulnerable, you know, and and when I say vulnerable, a lot of blokes here are going, oh, vulnerability, no, the opposite end of the spectrum, the strength, you got strength on one side, you got vulnerability on uh, the same thing. If you look at the dictionary, um, um, the dictionary definition of vulnerability, it is exposing yourself to physical and emotional harm. That's the definition of vulnerability, exposing yourself to physical and mental harm. How is this strong? Willie Apiata, 
mm-hmm. when he jumped out of his foxhole and ran in front of those bullets to save his two mates' lives, he exposed himself to physical and mental uh, mental harm. Yeah. And the mental side of it is still with him today. Mm-hmm. He still gets counseling today. And no great act, no act of bravery and strength ever happens without vulnerability. Vulnerability and strength are the same thing. So by showing vulnerability, you're actually showing great strength and great power. And we need to see more. Well, we don't. Our kids need to see more of it. Well, that's the thing. It's more, it's the fear that drives, well, certainly I'm going to speak for myself rather than necessarily every boat, but it's fear that drives you not to because you're worried again, like you've said, what people are going to think, what, you know, your peers, to a certain extent for me, what my kids are going to think. That's also been a fear for me as well, because as you said, you've got this um, societal drive to be the perfect dad, the perfect bloke, the perfect everything. And it is, it's important to just reframe that and going, well, maybe we've just, um, I've heard a group, uh, actually good blokes in Aussie call it the man box, which is like this box we've closed ourselves in of these limitations of what it is to be a man or a bloke. And not all of them are right. They've just sort of been adapted. uh, Again, take it on. The man box is the box that was passed down by my father. Mm. You know, it is, these are the, these are the three or four things that define a man protector, provider, give mm. my kids a better opportunity and never show weakness. Yeah. You know, we, and that's four sides to that box. We, we need to open that box up and, and say, look, that might've been right for that time, Yeah, but this is a new time. And guess what? Um, when our, when our kids, sons and daughters come through, the box will change again. Yeah, and this is what sets us apart from the animals, right? You know, is our mm-hmm. ability to to transform, um, you know, to come up with new ideas and new plans. Are you listening, Ian Foster? New ideas, new plans, not stuck in the same fucking loser box. Sorry, mm-hmm. I got carried away. <laughs> you wear your passion on your sleeve. It's obvious. It's not. It's all Always, good. Always, brother. It's all good. 